0: All right, it's Friday the 13th, it's scary. Be scared, be aware, be safe. If you're in St. Louis, it's going to rain today, so be careful. Welcome back, episode 11, PJ's son. I am PJ's son, it's your buddy Dom. Um, I've been talking about this show for a while now, and it, it's finally come today. I am a neurotic mess, so of course, I. you know how when you... Cut yourself shaving, and sometimes it's called a nick, and then sometimes it's more like a fillet. Today was a fillet day, folks. So you know, twenty minutes after my wonderful guest got here, I'm trying to stop bleeding, and um, so that's the state of of Dom today. I want to introduce Dr. Larry Shapiro. How are you, sir? Doing well. Glad Again, to be here. Thank you so much for coming. This means a lot to me, and I know it means a lot to my audience. Um, Folks at home, I have said this a few times, but I'm going to say it again now because uh, the man is sitting in front of me. I am very much okay with stating that uh, I wouldn't be talking to you. There's a very good chance I wouldn't be talking to you in the mic, this microphone and uh, hopefully entertaining you and helping you in, in some way, shape, or form without this gentleman sitting across from me today. Um, if Alicia could come, come down here and I had another mic, she would love to tell you the same, like I've already told you guys. But I try to um, email Doc every year and let him know it's another year clean. And, uh, you know, we, we try to stay in contact. He's very busy, but um, I, I haven't seen you in a long time. And just want to yeah. say, looking at you, thank you so much for everything you've done for me and my family.
1: It's a, it's a pleasure.
0: I mean, it's just uh, from, from when we met
1: until now, things are very different. Yeah, now you look like you were in the Marine Corps. Before you were a skinny kid when I saw you.
0: Yeah, looking sickly. Yeah. I think we met fourteen or fifteen. Probably about twenty fourteen or twenty fifteen. I yeah. think it was right around that time frame. Yeah. Yeah. I always explained that that was in the yeah because if I got so, if I started my journey in seven. Uh, 16 outside of your office, that means I was seeing you for, you know, a good year and a half to two years. But so that at the beginning, I would like to I I say or I can say that I was pretty much in the prime of my drug use. Yeah. So from the prime until the day that we left that office and Alicia said, I can't watch you kill yourself. And I said, I quit. Mm -hmm. Oh, now I'm dropping it. September 21st. Alicia, September twenty first, two thousand seventeen. I'm pretty sure it's my day. Okay, I'm just so. But anyway, so we had met right in the heart of things, and then uh, got to the bottom. It was when you forced me to uh, get registered with the Wounded Warrior Project for the Odyssey. Yeah, that was the game changer for me. And somehow, some way, those five days out in the woods, man, I don't know what it was, but that I I came home different.
1: Yeah,
0: as part of being back with the tribe very much and i've explained it before too i don't know if on here or the uh, museum podcast but there was something about kind of being one of the younger guys and being a little more fit guys and then so when we were going up the mountain to rappel and i saw the one guy needing help and i I grabbed the rope for we all had like one small thing to take up the mountain with us. everyone was capable my most were capable of more but excuse me um and just being able to grab that for him and reassure him that it's okay. You know I mean? I'm, I'm here to help you. Let's do this together. And Mm -hmm. then like having to do, so yeah, it was, it was something to do with being back around people again, instead of in that quiet, dark house by myself waiting to smoke another bowl, you know,
1: it's a great program project. Odyssey. I
0: thought, I mean, I know that I've heard that there were some things in the upper end of wounded warrior as a, as a, organization organization and i've i've told anybody i can i'm i don't know anything about those people Mm -hmm. that has that means nothing to me at all i know that the people who were there and helped me and alicia when we went on our on our couples yeah they were absolute aces i mean i i still talk to Corey all the time oh yeah all the time great always checking in with him he's doing great um i had an opportunity to go uh as a peer support specialist, they call it. Um there's one coming up, it's this month. I could I can't go though. they're they're running crazy numbers right now. Like they're helping so many people. Oh,
1: I bet. Compared to when you and I first started meeting.
0: Yeah. They're really, really it was very new. Yeah. But um this one, they their base camp, check this out, was at the bottom of what's the one with the presidents? Mount Rushmore. Mount Rushmore. Oh. Is that right? I'm pretty sure he said the bottom of rush in the Badlands. Yeah, yeah. but so so you, the base camp was there. So this whole thing, Corey was telling me, was like, it was all outdoor, all mountain, all beautiful, and fishing, wow. and all. I mean, it sounded. I was like, yeah, dude, i let me. But in my world, you don't know what the Cardinals are going to do. So Alicia could be in postseason baseball. Right. You know what I mean? So like it, that one was a tough one for me six months ago to say, yeah, dude, sign me up. So it was kind of hard to and then when I finally got back with them I'm like hey I don't think the Cardinals are going anywhere in October so <laughs> I, I might be able to do it he was like shit man I'm so sorry I I filled it but dude we've got plenty more coming I forgot the number he said of people who they have uh not enlisted but enrolled you know right. and I mean it's awesome so That's great. Um yeah so that was a big game changer for me and um you're you're just forever one of those people that I put in that recipe and uh that helped me out so I'll stop kissing your ass, but I just, I want you to know I'm forever grateful. I I try to make that known, but, um, yeah, it's just, uh, I'm happy, lucky, um, and grateful to be alive and healthy. So thanks. Pleasure. We met in 2014, but when did you, uh, can you go back and tell, I I told my audience already, can you tell the story about how you got into helping veterans,
1: helping? Yeah. Yeah. So, so first, you know, I started out, I got licensed as a psychologist in 1991. And things in in mental health were just kind of chaotic and it was all this insurance garbage. It was just getting difficult. Yeah, it's um, tough to, now, but it's tough back, but but back then, you know, the insurance and reimbursement was killing me. So I was like, I got to do something different. And you know, cuz I would tell people, look, you got X number of visits to complain if you've done nothing about it. You lose the right to complain, so eventually I was like, "All right, I lost the right to complain. I got to do something about it." Okay, so practice what you preach. Yeah, so I went and became a financial advisor. It's like, well, here's this. I had this. Is like, I was interested in finance. I was interested in the stock market, um, so I did that. But you know, man, after the 2008
0: oh, stock yeah. market crash, yeah,
1: the whole industry just just changed. It was a lot of fun, and when I say fun, it was fun because of the social aspect. I'm sure. I mean, you know. Is it I, like the movies? I kept a martini set in my credenza. Yeah, I mean, come on. You know, the bell rings, ding, ding, ding. It's like, you know, guys have cases of wine. You know, we, we would come in in the morning at 8 o'clock in the morning, and someone would come around with a drink cart. So-and-so's birthday. What would you like? Is this New York City? No, this is here in St. Louis. Oh, I thought you were like down there where no, the movies all. No. So that's all real, huh? It, it was all. It was all real. I mean, that sounds kind of awesome. It, it was a lot of fun, I mean, especially coming from being a psychologist where everybody's buttoned up. And, yeah, you know, going it's like a frat a, house. It's like a frat house, and going to a <laughs> psychology conference is so freaking boring. I'm sure, because no one wants to act out. other than controlled. Right. Right. So you know, you walk around, and everybody's got a stick up their ass. Yeah. But you go here, and they're like, "Stick, pull it out." You know, yeah. we've, got, we've got wine, we've got... It's 8 o'clock, a- o- have a drink. Yep, it's someone's birthday, there's a time to celebrate. Wow. Um, so it was a lot of fun, and then, you know, all these wholesalers taking us out for really nice dinners like Ruth's Chris and Morton. Sure. And, you know, ball, free ball games, hockey games, it was great. After 2008, that all went away. So it became way less fun. And frankly, the, the money part was not that interesting. I started getting more involved in the psychology of decision-making. Um, while I was there, so in 2002, a psychologist Daniel Kahneman won the Nobel Prize in Economics. It's a psychologist. I'm like, why well, does a psychologist mm-hmm. win a Nobel Prize in Economics? That is interesting. It was all about decision making, really. Why do people, logical people, make bad decisions? And so wow. I started focusing more on the psychology of investing yeah. rather than the investing part, because that was just you throw a dart, get an index fund, you're fine. You don't really need my help, right? To do that stuff. Um, so after a while, after 2008, I really started getting bored. Um, and then I think it was, I th- it might've been 2012 or 2013. My brother said was a career military mm-hmm. had just come back from Afghanistan. He was here in St. Louis. He came over to my house, he had a beer, it was, he was talking about his experience. And after he left, I was just thinking, <coughs> you know, I got to do something. I'm bored. I really need to do something bigger than myself. You know, my brother's been in there. I dropped him off at Aberdeen Proving Grounds. You know, for basic, right, after, right after college. Yeah, um, and you know he was just in it and retired two years ago as a two star. Wow. Well, how um, many years is that? When you do thirty 20, something, nearly thirty. Wow. He went in when he was twenty one, and I guess yeah. yeah.
0: What a career. What? Yeah. I mean. So you know, when you're talking to your brother, sorry to cut you off.
1: Yeah, it was like well, you know, Pat, first his first deployment was Panama, you know, before Noriega was overthrown. Right. The throne. right. You know, attached to 82nd Airborne, waiting to parachute into Panama. Yeah. You know, luckily for him, that, that didn't happen. Right. In the Gulf War, you know, the Balkans. Um, everything in the past. Everything. And he was at Fort Bragg at, on 9-11. So instrumental in setting up the base camps um, for the invasion of Afghanistan. So I'm like, you know, I, I really want to do something bigger than myself. And My brother spent a whole career, his whole adult life, doing something larger than himself. Yeah. And, I, you know, I just thought, well, you know what? I'm a guy. There are, not a lot, there are not a lot of guys left in mental health. Is that right? Well, if you go, let's say, to psychology today, which is where a lot of people find me, say find a therapist, type in your zip code, it's almost all women. Is it? And even back then, there were more men, but those guys have since retired. I'm like, well, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming, I'm making assumptions that, that combat veterans would be more comfortable talking to a man than a woman about their experience. You know, I was just making an assumption at the time. Yeah. I'm a psychologist. I've been out of practice for a while, but I'm still a psychologist. I mean, that's still how I think. Well, and you had probably, you'd probably been still uh,
0: internally acting as a psychologist on all these decision-making things in the, in the financial
1: world. All all the time. And one of the things being a financial advisor, because everybody in the office knew that I was a psychologist. Oh. So uh, if I was at my desk. I knew when someone wanted like a therapy session because they would put their hands on the sides of the door and stick their head in my office. They wouldn't walk in. Really? Just stick in their head, and I knew if they just put their head in, they they needed some head work done. Is that right? And I would just say, "Come on in and close the door." Oh, that's fucking voodoo. Yeah. Otherwise, they would just walk. Everybody just walk in your office, but hands on the door, head in the door. I knew they wanted some kind of counseling.
0: That was like a. It's like a physical sign. Oh yeah knowing how to read that stuff is a trip because to, to those people, I'm one of them just come hanging out your door. I don't realize what I'm telling you without saying anything at all. Right. You know, I'm, I'm like, do you want to go get a cup of coffee or something? But you're going, why don't you come in and sit down? Yeah. It's not, this isn't about a cup of coffee. You've, right. got, you've got a
1: glass of scotch in your hand. Come sit down. So that's what, you know, I was, so I was still involved in a roundabout way. Right. Right. So, you know, I went, once I just said, okay, look, too small, and I, I've told you before. My brother told me I don't have an attitude, the attitude yeah. for the military. Um, it's like, so what can I do? It's like, well, I can probably, I know how to work with, I, I'm familiar with PTSD. Let me just go get some specialized training though, um, in combat trauma, you know, because it's different than working with industrial accident or car accident, physical assault, sexual assault. So I went and got that specialized training. Um, and luckily, the clinic that I had trained at back in 1990 welcomed me back part-time um, specifically to focus on combat trauma because they didn't have anybody at the clinic that really i mean a lot of people work with veterans just because veterans were looking you know so you go to see anybody that will see you but it wasn't that they knew what they were doing necessarily right. and i i to, i agree with what you just said because
0: when you need help it's not for you to decide necessarily if if this person is the right person to help you or not. Right. So it's like, if, if, if I came into your office and you didn't necessarily specialize in military combat trauma Mm -hmm. or, or sexual, whatever the, whatever the case may be, like I'm just looking for anything. But also um, you had said before about the, the men and the women. I, I agree. I think that uh, some people probably jive better with men and then mm-hmm. some, and then, and then with women. But I I can tell you this because I went through the VA and and I, my biggest issue there. And I'm on my show. I don't bag on the VA. I don't do a lot of politics. Mm-hmm. It's not for me to say. My biggest issue was I would show up and, and we would do kind of the Freudian thing and go back to my childhood, my dad, and, you know, which, okay, it does make sense. But if I let you in and then I come back to you in two weeks for our follow up, and you're gone, or maybe you're there for another session or two, and mm-hmm. then you just leave, and then I start back over with this other person that I don't know, and I'm not comfortable with yet, and I, so we're building this rapport, and then you take off. Now, they give you a better job in Virginia. I can't blame right. you for
1: that, right?
0: but now I have to start over with Anthony, and I don't know him, and it's like, fuck, you know? Right. You got to go through the whole story. You don't want to go through the story in the first place. I didn't want to do it. I, didn't, I was drugging hero against my will anyway, you know, <laughs> yeah. in, in other words. But so to me, it was like uh, something about with you and Chris. I've always I've said this a lot that I you didn't let me get away with anything. And it's not that I was um, forced to stay there. Alicia definitely needed me to go. and And it was kind of a deal breaker if I didn't. But there there was a thing that clicked. And I try to tell people that all the time, like, if it if if you don't feel that thing, and it's not that I wanted help so much because then my secret was out and I couldn't keep getting high and all those other things that go into being a drug addict, it's it, it wasn't that. Um, it was just that I knew that I had we had or you had something, and, and so I think that if, but that's hard to ask people to keep starting that process all over, you know. So so it is it is tough. Yeah. I don't know why I went on that rant, but I was going somewhere with it.
1: Well, you know, it's... Oh, we were talking about... We were to, talking about, the, like, in part, like going to the VA and trying to say, who can I see? So good getting into the field... Yeah, right. It's like, if you have a, all these therapists who said, yeah, come on in. You know, my, my view is, it's incumbent upon the therapist to say, look, you've got this very specific problem. I'm not trained in that. I think you should see somebody else. Jenny's great. But that wasn't happening. It was like, well, come on in. We'll do whatever psychotherapy we learned in graduate school, regardless. I'll figure it out. I'll, I'll figure it out or help or how bad can it be or which i've heard you know and read in some reports you were trained for this how could you have ptsd mhm you know it's like people who just fundamentally didn't understand the nature
0: i think that sometimes like why is this, why does why do things bother us if this is our job if a police officer like yeah, well you're talking about training and then you're talking about your fucking brain function, you know. Yeah.
1: It's completely different. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So the military does a great job. Uh, we talked about this, training you to be a warrior. Right. They just do a shit job. Yeah. Training you to be a civilian. <laughs> yeah. And what we're trying to do is get people back, you know, yeah. into a civilian life. For sure.
0: For sure. So, um, where were we?
1: You uh okay, you went back to some specialized training. Yep. Um, went back to St. Louis Behavioral Medicine Institute, which is where I did my original postdoc. Right. Um, and frankly, I don't even know how people found me. Um, at the time, you know, I think I might have called Chris over at the vet center. Someone gave me Chris's number. And then I called Chris at the vet center and I said, Chris, this is what I'm doing. He invited me out to the vet center. I think I talked to the, to the group. I think I might have done a presentation out there. Um, and then so people started coming through the vet center. Okay, then
0: that's that's where we uh, third party. Alicia knows a lady at work. Her son, uh, unfortunately, isn't with us anymore. uh, From uh, things. um, But uh, he was, I guess, then I thought he was seeing you, but I think I think that's right, that he was actually seeing Chris. I hooked up with Chris and then in a roundabout way, we got your number and we're told, go talk to him. Right. And we were in a place where that had to happen. Something had to happen soon. So, yeah, yeah I mean, but so that's where it all took off at?
1: It, it must I have mean, been because cuz I didn't know how to find you know, my thing was I got to go out and find cuz I'm working part-time, I got to you know, earn money really? also. Yeah. It's like, well, how do I find these how do I find these people? How do they find me? How do I find right, them? Right, right, right. Oh, no shit. Yeah. Um and Wayne Kaufman from the Kaufman Fund. Big big um player here in St. Louis. He was a a Vietnam veteran. He was the one that gave me Chris's numbers. Is that right? All over the vet center. So all of these different connections, it's kind of everything funneled in. And then once the vet center started bringing people over, sending people (laughs) over, then, you know, floodgates open. And then I started doing the, um, you know, um, doing all these basic workman's comp. Yeah. You know, claims uh, for veterans. And then the VSOs found out. And then the VSO started referring people who were coming in for yeah. things like, no, you got to go see Shapiro. Go get all the paperwork done, have him do all the stuff because it, it's going to work. Yeah. And then do the treatment. So it was just like a series of... Yeah. There's a
0: pool of wackos out there with Chris. <laughs> I'm one of them, and you guys know I'm kidding, so I could say that. But yeah, I mean, there there was a there was an, a lot of us over there that needed something.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think it was also around that time, around 2014 or so maybe before, when... Um, we first started hearing that more veterans were dying of suicide mm-hmm. than dying in combat. Yeah, and that really shifted. Yeah. some of the thinking um, in the veteran community and in the mental health community, uh, and started to destigmatize. Right, you know, uh, PTSD.
0: Well, it hit us all on such a personal level, right? Like I'm, all the guys I know. well, That makes sense because we all know the same people, but. Uh, other guys i've I've met in the past they they had two or three buddies or five or, you know the number grows and grows and grows but yeah that that suicide thing um I think it brought a lot of like okay 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 everybody let's let's put the swords down for a second and let's try to at least keep each other alive and right. nuts while we're here but let's let's like work on just keeping each other afloat you know yep why were you? so adamant on being able to help people without medication?
1: Well, it wasn't that I was trying to do it without medication. What was happening at the time is that people were coming in from the VA on 10, 15, 18 medications. Ladies and gentlemen, my hand's in the air. And I was like, "This, I, I, I can't treat this. I don't know what I'm treating, right? They've they got so many medications on board you know, most most of the drug interaction stuff is between two medications. There's no chart that says what happens when you're on 15, right? So you got guys on opioids for pain. Right. You know, you got something for sleep, something for anxiety, something to pep you up because everything they're, they're giving you is weighing you down. Yeah. So you need something, to, a stimulant to kind of, yeah. kind of push through it. And my thing was like, there's no way that I can work under these circumstances because I don't know what I'm dealing with underneath all this stuff. So it's really an issue of how do I get people off of what seemed to be redundant medications and medications that weren't appropriate. Because the other thing that was happening at the time is guys were coming to see me with, um, and they they would come and say, well, I was at the VA, I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder, borderline personality disorder, major depression, antisocial personality (laughs) disorder, everything except PTSD. Right. So it was like, well, let's get rid of, besides let's reduce the number of drugs, let's reduce all these diagnoses to the common denominator PTSD. Under that umbrella, yeah. Under that umbrella, which is also what got me involved in cannabis consulting. Yeah. Um, Because a lot of guys were getting better pain relief without the addiction. Sure. um, Without the constipation, all the stuff that comes with opioids. Yeah. Um, Sleeping better, get them off of benzodiazepines, using cannabis products to help them manage their pain um, and their anxiety. uh, You know, for a lot of people, just worked better. Yeah. Than all of these medications... So again, it wasn't I was trying to get him off. It was just, it was ridiculous the amount of medications right. that guys were coming in
0: with. Well, I asked that question because obviously I'm a believer that uh, a lot of this work can be done without all of those medications. But I know, I, I think in our relationship, you and I, um, <clears throat> most of it was spent on. It, so it's like there's this callous, and this goes to medication as well as uh, hardcore drugs and stuff too. Dude. But like, it, it seemed to me like there was this, there was one layer and that was the addiction and all the shit that I'm doing to myself, but you know, like uh, mentally mm-hmm. and then underneath of that, just taking a nap like a dormant volcano was the actual stuff, you know, right. the actual shit to dig through. So it's like, yeah, when, when we're uneducated, we, the community on what any of these pills do, but you have a lab coat on and you're Dr. Stevens. You're
1: supposed to say, yeah, you're supposed to say, okay, whatever you say, doc.
0: Whatever. And then uh, the better part about that for uh, an opioid, I mean, for a painkiller guy, they came in the mail. Yeah. It, so, I
1: mean, when a white bag would show up with the VA, it was like, woohoo. And it wasn't a cross-reference, so you could go to the VA and get opioids, but you would also go to your primary care. And also get opioids. So and go to the guy up the street. I mean, it was all over. The, it was just all over the place. It was out of control. Yeah. Um, and I thought the medication management aspect of the VA out of control. Yeah. So most of the work that, that you and I did and developing the practice was really based around what was not working at the VA. Right. Yeah. And then just me not <laughs>
0: smoking meth and snorting painkillers. I mean, that's not a good recipe for anybody's mental no. health.
1: But, you know, you mentioned me and Chris, and I would say, you know, for you, the other thing, and this is, again, where the VA falls flat, the other person involved in all this was Alicia. Oh, she gets her props
0: right I mean, Without show.
1: her, and that was one of and, – and, you know, with you guys, it was like – it It also clicked. It was like, you know what? The guys who are going to get better faster have a supportive partner. A hundred percent. So we got to bring them into the treatment, but we got to bring them in in yeah. some way. Yeah. Whereas the VA – the, a lot of the women would say, I don't know what's going on here. You know, no one's talked to me about any of this. Yeah. He won't talk to me about it. Right. And who knows what is going on in
0: that session that he's not, you know, so he could right. be not, we don't want to tell all of our faults all the time. So if the wife were to be able to be in the session and say, you know, sometimes he does this, the doctor might be able to. So, yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um, And, I've told the story a lot. We just had the, the my new life anniversary or whatever we call it not long ago, but uh, Alicia didn't give me an ultimatum outside of your office. I mean, we walked out of your office that day, and we sat in her car, and I was in the passenger seat, and she said, I, I think that was the day that I signed up for uh, Project Odyssey, for Wounded Warrior Project. I think Was it
1: for, was it for Project Odyssey? Because we also remember you were supposed to go into detox, at Jefferson Barracks, and they had a bed bug yeah, infestation. Had bed and you're like, well, what, you know, you're like, what the fuck? I don't have any medicine. I'm supposed to detox. Now you tell me two or three days before I'm supposed to go. I can't go because you have bed bugs. And Chris was able to arrange a flight. Yeah. And a hospital stay down in Florida.
0: All right. Well, those those two timelines were not the same, but what whatever on that day when we went outside of your office. So, well, that had to have been it. No, Doc, that had to have been it because... When I got the pre or the pre-screening call for mm-hmm. uh, Project Odyssey, that was their biggest concern was knowing like how long I had been clean, mm. and it was like right at four weeks. Okay, and he was like, "You, are you being on it? Like, I need to. I need you yeah. to tell me, have you been clean for?" I said, "I'm done. Like, I've, I've been, but." where I was going with that was Alicia didn't give me this ultimatum. She just said, Dominic, I love you. And I love those. I can barely tell the fucking story, but I love you. And I love those kids. And I just can't watch you kill yourself. And which it was going to be that or prison for sure. But, um, and, and that was, I just said, I quit. And so that team around me, it was a small team, but it was, it's, you have to, I mean, maybe you don't have to have one people,
1: but I did, you know, a person like me, I need a team. You see people who know how to direct you. Yeah, right. And that's really been the problem with with treating um, PTSD is that the people that they were going to the VA, you would think that the VA therapist would know exactly what to do, but a lot of them are brand, you know brand new out of graduate school. Um, they don't really get a lot of training in PTSD. It's like oh, you're going to see a lot of combat veterans. They're going to be you know they're going to have bad tempers. <laughs> you know they can be volatile. There's a panic button under your under your desk if you need it, um, but not a lot. Good luck. Yeah, go get them. That's it. Wow. And yeah.
0: At least they're trying, right? Like but I th- give them that, and that's why on this show I don't like to say oh, yeah. "fuck the Fiat." I don't. I don't like that man no. because someone's trying. And while you might not agree on their practices, and they're not, they haven't done enough for me, and they always fuck me around. I everyone understands. Right. It's just that like. You know, this thing is fairly new, this thing as in like the
1: study of it, right? I mean, right. It, it's not that old. Right. I, I guess in the 90s, I forget when PTSD was actually specifically made a very specific diagnosis. Might I didn't. might have been the 80s. Oh, I didn't even know it went back that far. Yeah. Um, Which still isn't old, but. It's not old. You know. But before that, it was like shell shock. Common, yeah. You know? Right. Okay. You know, um, but an actual diagnosis. Yeah um that people could treat it's just that no one knew really how to treat it right what does that mean right so what do we okay we have this diagnosis a cluster of 20 symptoms holy shit what does that okay so what does that mean yeah um and one of the for me one of the interesting things over time because starting with combat but from combat then all the first responders find out right so police officers firefighters emt's like wait you work with combat or this is kind of the you know can you help me as well? It's like okay, well now we're working with, you know, first responders, um, who are constantly being exposed to trauma. Yeah, uh, constantly. And people don't realize. People think about cops, writing traffic tickets. Fuck that. But you know, the number of car accidents, suicides, domestic violence, child abuse, that the, that these people see, the EMTs, firefighters, it's more than most people could ever imagine
0: the firefighter i know personally I, he he when we talked about this a long time ago i just kind of asked him like what he's like dude fire isn't my job not in the mm-hmm. municipality he's in he's like oh, it, it, we're not generally going to go into a small house unless there's a person in there that right. he's, we'll let it burn it's already halfway burned by the time we got there anyway we're probably not going to go he's like it's accidents and yeah so he started telling me some of the just horrible things you have to see and it's like compartmentalized and when he said you just got to compartmentalize it man you got to go home be
1: a dad again i'm like yeah well i fucking know it ain't that easy it's not that easy you know yeah especially when you do it for a long time and what people don't a lot of people don't realize is in some of the smaller communities kids as young as 13 and 14 are riding in ambulances because they don't have enough people you know these volunteer forces in some of the rural communities so you got guys you know, who might have been exposed to this stuff starting with a 13, 14 years old. Yeah, I mean, you should be like riding a bike. You should be riding a bike. You go, know. Play, go play tackle football. Right. You know, go play basketball, hockey, right. do something, but don't ride in the back of an ambulance. That's tough. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Listen, I know you have to get your St. Bernard in about a half an hour. Yeah. So um, <laughs> I, while I hate to speed this thing along, I do want to get into the current... Uh, what you're doing, the state of things um, and the new uh, ways in in science that's coming around that that uh, you are practicing and and how, you know, we can help people that might be listening to this or guys at home. If you guys have a cousin or or some guy in the neighborhood, please forward this along to him, because I I think things are coming. um, They're coming and they're coming fast. And I think this new way of treatment is going to be very beneficial to all of us, you know, not just military, but like Doc said, first responders and 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 all kinds of trauma victims. So, yeah.
1: what are you up to these days? So, um, related to trauma. So, back during the pandemic, um, I went to what virtually? Pandemic? Yeah, <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> uh, went to a virtual trauma conference, um, and and, uh, and so and the keynote speaker, Robin Carhart Harris was talking about psychedelics and trauma. And I'm like, where did this come from? Yeah. I had never, where did... That's when, illegal. Since when are people talking about psychedelics, period? In an open... In an open format, in a large international conference. Yes. Yeah, this is a secret. And this is the keynote speaker talking about the research that he's been doing and, and really, and the brain imaging research that he's been doing uh, with psychedelics um, and trauma and depression, but we, we were focusing on trauma. Okay, And and all these other speakers throughout the course of the three-day conference were coming and talking about psychedelics this, psychedelics that, um, look at the res- results we're getting for this, for that. I'm like, holy cow. And I remember thinking to myself, I was like, wait, you mean I can get these guys better, faster, doing this? I was like, I'm in. How do I learn how to do this? Yeah. And so from there, I was like, oh, you know, I told my mom, I was like, you're not going to believe what I'm just, you know, what I've been exposed to here. Yeah. I got to do this. Honey, I've
0: got a new one for you. She's like, oh God, is it
1: golf? I got to do like that. No? I, I, I got to do something. And which also came at an opportune time because also during the pandemic, you know, I'm working from home Yeah, and I'm like, I'm starting to get a little bit yeah. bored, a little bit, you know, it's like, okay, I need something new, something more exciting, something challenging. Sure. Um, and so it came right at the right time. Also, coincidentally, uh, I forgot about this. It came, you might not have known this, that February of 2021, during the pandemic, I went to cardiac arrest. Yeah, uh, died twice. What? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, 430 in the morning. Told my wife something's not right. Ambulance, came, or the EM, uh, EMTs came and they said I said- 13-year-old kid? <laughs> yeah, luckily not, because because I'm sitting there. I'm like, I don't know what he's got. Look, he's like, you know, you have a third degree heart block. I don't know what he's talking. About. I was like, how can I have a third degree heart block? I had open surgery in 2016, and I had all my, you know, a valve replaced and and new arteries. And you're a healthy guy. And I'm a, I was fit. Yeah, I was fit. You look great. Not, not healthy apparently. Okay. Apparently. Okay. Fit there's a difference. Not, there's a difference. Um, I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? And I, and I said, well, look, my surgeon's out at St. Luke's, and the guy looks at me and goes, you'll never make it. To St. Luke's. To St. Luke's. Wow. It's too far away. So they took me right around the corner to St. Mary's. Team's waiting for me, four thirty in the morning. I'm laying there and the guy, the doctor looks at me and goes, We're gonna put in a pacemaker. I'm like, pacemaker? I just got here. What are you talking about? Yeah, pacemaker? yeah, yeah. Hold on. Hold on. Yeah. And he said, You know, you had a third degree heart block. It's electrical. It's not about your arteries. You're not getting a signal in your heart. It's stopping. Wow. And so we're in there, and he's like, "Hey, did you feel that?" I was like, I "Feel what?" It's like, "Oh, your heart just stopped." I didn't feel anything. I feel that. It's like, "No." It's like your heart just stopped again. So while they're waiting for this external pacemaker, uh-huh. they get it in, and like, <laughs> it comes in a kit, and somebody says it's missing a piece. Uh, hey! And again, so this is like four thirty, quarter five in the morning. Like someone's got to go to the cardiac cath lab, and and find another one. It's a spring that's it's like s- millimeters. And so time's passing and I'm laying on the bed and everybody's huddling up in the corner. And all of a sudden I hear somebody say, that's not good. Oh, okay. And then everybody rushes over to the gurney. They're taking my clothes off, my shoes. And I'm like, I have no clue what's going on. Um, Then all of a sudden I said, you know what? I'm starting to feel weird. Boom, out. Done. Um, And the next thing I remember is hearing this noise. Thinking to myself, what the hell is that? And then I open my eyes, and there's this big nurse doing chest compressions. And I realize, like, oh, that noise is me from the chest compressions. Uh, uh, really? Oh, yeah.
0: Holy and they're asking, shit.
1: like, are you oriented, time plan? And I look at the doctor. I'm like, what the fuck just happened? It's like, well, you died, but we brought you back. Wow. Yeah. And then. The, I'm so then happy. The kit, then the kit comes in. It's like, so we're going to put it in. And as they're rolling me over, I'm like, I'm getting that, bit, boom, out again. So I went into cardiac arrest twice. L- luckily for me, I was in an emergency room. They were already prepared at the moment. So, yeah, I probably would have been dead if I tried to get out to St. Luke's. Wow. It was that far away. So in the context of having this cardiac arrest, and it's like, man, I probably need to do something to adjust my lifestyle. You know, because I was seeing 50, 55 yeah. patients a week. I was like 12 hours a day. Running. I was running all the time. Yeah. Like, see more, see more, see more. I was like, uh, this is not sustainable, clearly. Yeah. So, so this trauma thing came up, and the second I was like, oh, here's where I might be able to do something that's less stressful. Cutting edge in my, you know, cutting edge technology, cutting edge treatment. I'm like, I'm 60 years old. I'm Like, you know, how how many opportunities do you get? at the, court, the tail end of your career yeah, to be at the cutting edge of your profession. Yeah. So I went and found a training program to get certified in psychedelic assisted psychotherapy. So that was a 200, 200, 250 hours of training. So you didn't slow anything down at first. As a matter of fact, you
0: ramped it up to get <laughs> uh, this training. Well, uh, things were slowed down a little bit anyway. Right. With the pandemic.
1: but Right. but But even with the pandemic, working out of my apartment, yeah, um, it was still I was still seeing fifty plus I mean, patients a week, which for some, most people full time is thirty five, in psychology thirty five right. hours kids are full. I was seeing fifty five plus. Doc, um,
0: I get stressed out like with three kids doing homework after school. I don't know how. I, I mean, I I'm not I, I'm not wired that way, but I don't <clears throat> I never understood how you and all the people in your field can just take not complaints all day, but like.
1: Well, but here's the thing. I don't think of it. Um, people say, how do you listen to people's problems all day? I know. I don't. I don't. That's the key. I don't listen to people's problems. I listen for data. I listen for information. Mm. I listen for, for the vocabulary, repetition, look at body language. I don't listen to people's problems. That's why. Right? I'm listening. What What data can I get that gives me an idea about what's going on with this person so that I can formulate a plan to treat it?
0: Very interesting. For our listeners that don't know what are psychedelics and like, what are some kind of, of, a few of the examples of psychedelics we're talking about here?
1: Okay. So the, the, the main one right now for combat trauma Mm -hmm. um, is MDMA ecstasy. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So my experience with ecstasy had nothing to do with any kind of, and that's it. You know, ecstasy was uh, rescheduled. uh, I think in 1985 in 1986, an organization was started to try to say, well, people had been using MDMA in couples therapy because it opens people up; they're less defensive. Really? So they had been they had been using MDMA. Um, so the push was, let's see if we can get this legalized. Now, this is 1986. I was um, four. Yeah. So, so I mean, things have. Oh yeah, things are things are very different. So wh- what people don't realize is LSD, which was um, rec- which was scheduled. In 1965, between 1948 when it was discovered and 1965, it was the most researched psychiatric medication in the world. Over 8,000 publications on LSD, and then illegal, done. I mean, who would have thought? Who'd have thunk? You know, right? Because it got political. Sure. It got social. Sure. And that's really what shut it down. Fuck yeah. It wasn't dangerous. People weren't dying. You can't die of an overdose from LSD. You can't die from an overdose of magic mushrooms. There's no lethal dose. Oh, really? There isn't one. I, no. I,
0: I had heard that before about mushrooms, but I had never heard that. I heard, like, you could get fucking
1: whacked out if you, but die, yeah. You can the die? LDs, no. Really. Now, look, MDMA is different because it's a stimulant. Right. Right, so you can Hard. overdose on MDMA. Yeah. yeah. So what, what was going on, this um, organization started funding privately because these things are illegal. So they do privately funded research. And when you hear um, the guy who started this um, program talk about it, he said, how are we going to get psychedelics back and use them in a therapeutic way? we got to get Congress, we got to get the government on board. How do we do that? Well, first, let's choose a medication that people won't be that freaked out by. So LSD is off the table. Right, which right? one of those? LSD. Yeah. So I was like, okay, let's go with MDMA because it's, it's kind of mild. It doesn't have the stigma of LSD. And what population do we do we focus on? For sympathy, veterans. Sure, who's going to turn down research on vet, You know, for veterans for veteran mental. If so you want, that, if you want the votes, you better include that community because there's a lot of us. Yeah. So and no, nobody in Congress is going to say no to veterans. Fuck those <laughs> veterans. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No. So MDMA and veterans, and it was really more of a political calculation. Wow. Than a clinical calculation. Now, since that time, eighty-five, um, this organization published. It's phase three clinical trial on using MDMA-assisted psychotherapy. So i want to make sure that people understand. What we're really talking about here is psychotherapy that's augmented with psychedelics. So it's we're not, not giving you a vial of MDA to go home and listen to rave music? Absolutely not. No. I mean, that's where people get in trouble. So when people have talk about having bad trips, yeah. it's usually because it's been in an <clears throat> at a rave or in an in a unstructured environment. Well, and also, where did you get it from? It's just from all, some all guy who it. thought he could be a chemist. Like, no. So what's happening now with, with the MDMA research, uh, this phase three clinical trial that just got published, um, we're finding that, he, I believe it was three doses of MDMA, each dose followed by psychotherapy, and then follow on the psychotherapy. Three doses, including psychotherapy. Over the course of a year, the the reduction in symptoms was like 68% after that no longer met criteria for PTSD and then a higher number than 68% um, reported increased life satisfaction. So here we've had people, i like, I'm working with people now sometimes, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six years. But here's a study that says in a, in less than a year, we combine MDMA with psychotherapy and we can get these people better. Functioning, um, happier. You know, part of my thing in therapy is the you know, an absence of depression is not the same thing as happiness. I agree, right? But the field focuses on an absence of symptoms. Okay. Right. So I'm not depressed, but like you're on an SSRI, <laughs> like like Paxil or Zoloft. Yeah. I'm not depressed, but man, I am flat. You're not happy either. And I can't get a boner. Yeah. How are you going to be happy? Yeah, if you're not motivated, you're emotionally neutral, and you can't have sex. Right, right. And then you mentally fuck yourself up once it happens. Once it, the next time, you know what I mean. It, right. it can just be in your. So yeah. So MDMA was really how this all started back um, in the in the eighties. But since then, in twenty, I believe it's twenty seventeen, um, the FDA said that in essence, psychedelics or psychedelic assisted thera- therapy is a breakthrough therapy. Once it achieved breakthrough therapy status, you can look at a chart. 2017, all of a sudden, boom, the research just takes off. Sure. Now you can get funding for it. Can't get funding still. Oh, really? Can't get funding, not from the federal government. What are it's they It's all gonna- privately. Don't, it's all private. Um, so, right now, um, I'm going to start some additional training on Monday because uh, I'm going to be the lead therapist for psilocybin, magic mushroom study at WashU. Okay but it's being sponsored by a British pharmaceutical company. Love it. And we're looking at a single, do- we will be looking at the effects of a single dose of psilocybin followed by therapy mm-hmm. um, on treatment resistant depression. And right now we know that from some studies done at, at Imperial College, just a, a single dose of psilocybin followed by therapy can actually last uh, for over 12 months. Wow. Right, without additional medicine, without additional therapy. And compare that to, Zola or to uh, it was Lexapro, I think at the time, Lexapro, you're on it for six weeks, and then they take you off of it, the depression comes back almost immediately. Yeah, thanks. Right? So now with psychedelics, we've got this idea where w- what's happening is when you're taking a psychedelic, now most of the classical psychedelics, now we're talking about primarily LSD and magic mushrooms, mm-hmm. DMT to a less degree, but really psilocybin is the primary one that people are looking at right now. Right. Because the dose... Doesn't have to be very large, yeah, right. Um, so it's easy. You can compound it in a in a lab, so you know exactly how much, right, right. You're giving people. So, but they all act: LSD, psilocybin, DMT, ayahuasca, mm-hmm. which is really the active ingredient is DMT. Okay, all act on serotonin receptors, just like the SSRIs. Okay, okay. happy, different, right? So, so SSRIs work on one specific serotonin. Uh, Receptor. Okay. Psychedelics work on a very different one, and what's happening, what appears to be happening in all this brain imaging we're able to do now, because things have gotten more sophisticated. When you think about SSRIs as being deactivating, the the goal here on an SSRI is, I won't be as depressed. Really, I just won't be as emotional. Sure. On the other hand, on this other receptor site with the psychedelics, we're actually encouraging people to have a full range of emotion. Yeah. Because that's normal. That's human. Human. You know what? Every once in a while, things happen. People get depressed. Sure. Part of life. You know, it's part of life. You can't medicate normal. So now we're we're talking about psychedelics, getting a a full range of emotion. But what's really cool is what seems to happen is something called neuroplasticity, which means that um, parts of the brain that never talk to each other start developing links so, you know, like, like when I'm talking right now, mm-hmm. there are a couple of parts of the brain that have to work. Mm-hmm. So there's the, um, the motor cortex, because I have to move my mouth, my throat. So there's muscles involved. I also have to formulate a thought that's a different part of the brain. I actually have to convert that thought into spoken language, different part of the brain. So these, we know this network exists. But what happens when, let's say, the receptors in your tongue start talking to the receptors in your visual cortex. And you taste something, it's like, man, that really tastes red. Or all of a sudden, I am I taste something, it's like, and all of a sudden I'm getting flashes of colors.
0: Well, yeah, all these little neurons are running around on, on psilocybin going, hey, man, how are you? Good to meet you. We've
1: lived next door all these fucking years. We've never even talked. we never talked. So What's you think, up? So you think about you know, the analogy I use is, um, you know, locally, if you're driving on Highway 40, you've gone from St. Louis to St. Charles. Yeah. And all of the exits are blocked off. So you just know, this is the route to and from, I don't have any options, and it's a, it's a well-worn path. and Easy. Easy, and it's repeated. Fluid. All all, all of a sudden, <clears throat> the barriers come off the exits. Now you have the opportunity. There's Chesterfield. To, do, to think about things differently. To Topical. To remember things differently. Wow. Um, to experience things differently. So instead of just an intellectual recall of a memory of all that stuff happened to me, People say, well, I felt it. Wow. Like, in my body, I felt it. And I can think about things in a way that I never thought about before, um, and reimagine my history, and reimagine how I think about myself, reimagine how I think about the world, how I think about God. Um, And so this neuroplasticity um, allows the brain to connect to people, like you said. They're right next door to each other, but they haven't been talking all this time. All of a sudden, they're talking to each other. Right. So it allows people to think differently than they had been before.
0: Yeah. What have we been missing out on all these years of not communicating? Right. It turns and out
1: a lot. Yeah. Right. And then the other thing is, if these if these psychedelics get into the nerve cells themselves, the nerve cells actually develop more what are referred to as dendritic spikes. So more opportunities for a single nerve cell, more opportunities for that one nerve cell to connect to other nerve cells that it never would have been able to before. So you call over more buddies, and
0: then they go to all the neighbors, and they're all talking. So now we all, huh? Yeah.
1: yeah, so the brain is talking to each other wholesale. Wow. It wasn't doing that before. And what we're doing then with the, the therapy part is we're trying to take advantage of critical periods. So a critical period, for instance, in child development, mm-hmm. critical, if you don't learn language by age seven, you know, you grew up in a deprived environment, people don't talk, or they're they're putting you in your room, no one's talking to you. You don't develop language by age seven. Your ability to pick up language after that, over. It's like there's a there's a time frame in which things need to happen. Optimal learning. Optimal, right. Right? Optimal. This is why kids can learn a foreign, a second or third language really easily, but we can't. Yeah. It's like a, it's it's painful. Hola. Right? Or the visual cortex, you know, some kids in, in some countries are born with um, or probably here too, like cataracts. They're born with cataracts, so they can't see. They're functionally blind. Mm-hmm. If you don't correct that by a certain age, and then you then you correct it, your brain doesn't know how to interpret those signals anymore. It, yeah. So you can get the stimulation, the stimulus, but you don't. Your brain doesn't know how to work with that. So we're working with these critical periods, and when those critical periods are over, it's over. Wow. So what we're thinking is the psychedelics are opening up critical periods of learning. And those critical periods seem to be, um, in terms of duration, directly related to the duration of a psychedelic experience. So right now, the, fir- the most common psychedelic right now that's being used is ketamine because it's, it's legal.
0: Right? I mean, who would have thought?
1: Right? Ketamine's legal. Battlefield, it's a battlefield anesthetic ana- uh, started in Vietnam. Right. World Health Organization now counts as one of the top five most important wow. uh, medications in the world. Because of its safety profile. Sure. But if you give it at the right dose and you don't knock people out, they will have a psychedelic experience. And that's when things can start to change. That's when things can start to change. But ketamine is only 40 minutes long. So the critical learning period afterwards is very brief. So if you just did ketamine without the therapy and you stop two weeks later, things are going to start going back to where they were before. Okay. So when someone does ketamine, it's like, well, if you're going to do ketamine, we have to, you and I have to have a session one or two or three days immediately following. So yeah. we can start using that and taking advantage of that critical period. Wow. Mushrooms is four hours. So typically a four-hour trip, yeah. regardless of how much you take. Okay. Uh, and so now we've maybe got six months to a year. LSD is a 10 to 12-hour experience, a year plus. Oh, okay.
0: I see what you mean now.
1: Ayahuasca can be like 20 hours. Now, you know, I've got guys coming back from ayahuasca experiences, still working on integrating stuff from a year ago. They're still getting insights. Wow. Um, into themselves, not just about combat, but about stuff that happened before that. Yeah, sure. Right? Because, you know, one of the things that, you know, trying to figure out, well, with PTSD and combat, you know, roughly 20, per, let's say roughly 20% of people who, who go into combat will develop PTSD in their lifetime. Mm-hmm. But what what, why not the other 80%? What happened to them? What happened to them? Or what didn't happen to them? right, probably more important. Right? So what we know is um, for a lot of people who develop PTSD, a predictor, a good predictor of developing in combat is a history of family trauma and neglect,
0: abuse and neglect.
1: Yeah. It sets you up because you don't have good attachment, critical period for For attachment. For sure. Infancy to age six. If you don't form good attachments to your mom or your dad, and you're just kind of all over the place. Yeah. That sets you up. Oh yeah, um, for PTSD. Yeah. So that's one of the leading predictors of PTSD is early childhood trauma and neglect.
0: Wow. I I could go into that because my whole with my dad stuff. Yeah, you know, I lost both my parents now, and it's yeah. like I'm just starting to realize that some of those things. It's like fuck, man. You know. And so I try to um, always be mindful of that with my own kids. You know. Yeah. I just got back from a twelve hour day, and my son or daughter, whoever wants to throw a ball or do it's like you get get out there and throw that fucking ball because that's all right. you wanted,
1: you know. And it's it's important. So yeah. So now, when guys are coming back from these ayahuasca, and a lot of times, you know, first of all, I got to remind everybody these substances are illegal, so I can't recommend, condone, or endorse the use of psychedelics. No doubt, right? Date. Right. So um when these guys find you know, an ayahuasca retreat, Mm -hmm. um, normally they're finding it because we've done the PTSD work, right? They're going out to stores. They're getting along with their family. They're living. The one part that the work that I've been doing that's really, really the most difficult is addressing guilt and shame associated with their combat experiences. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that's where ayahuasca, for me in my experience, becomes inter- uh, integral and a really important part of treatment because it's great. Go anywhere you want, whenever you want comfortably. That's the goal for fuck yeah, right? And they're doing that, but they're still struggling with guilt and shame. Something, yeah. Something. It's there. It, yep, so the ayahuasca will bring that up um, and they can deal with the, the things that are creating the guilt and shame in an ayahuasca ceremony so that they can let that go. They can realize, you know what, there really wasn't anything I could do at the time. Yeah.
0: Right? And... If I had control over of that over that situation, yeah. I would have I would have changed the outcome. Right. Clearly Dominic Masters can't control ba 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 ba. You know, I mean that's fucking insane to think, but yes yeah. I could have. You know, I should have been I should I should, I should it's like
1: right. and you know, you see a bunch of stuff in combat and you're like, man, humanity sucks. Yeah. Yeah. Humanity people just are right. horrible. Right. But you can't go, you know, you go around the world when you get back thinking that everybody, the whole world is horrible. You're not going to be able to establish any really good relationships. Certainly not going to be able to hold a job. It's not happy times. It's not happy times. So so the psychedelics, from my experience, allows the veterans to um, go beyond to go anywhere you want, whenever you want comfortably, but live comfortably in your head also. The beautiful thing. Right? Because you're getting rid of the guilt, you're getting rid of the shame, and then some of these guys will start talking about their childhood right. trauma and neglect, things that they would never have talked about before. Yeah. But they're realizing, like, holy crap. Now I've got this open way of thinking about myself. Yeah. I'm not shut down. I'm not closed down. Yeah. I can think about my history, and I don't have to get overwhelmed. I don't have to be embarrassed by it. I don't have to be ashamed by it. And so you start with PTSD, and then you're ending up, in some cases, talking about what it was like for them growing up. Wow.
0: I'm sold. I have to get you out of here soon. Yeah. Um in, in a very selfish way, but I know this is going to relate to other people. Uh, I work for the government. Um, I So what are... Um, how can people find uh, therapists who are, you know, anyone who's interested? Uh, do these things come up in drug tests? How can you, without you right. telling us what to do and how to do it because you can't right. do that... Uh, is uh, the government coming around to this stuff? Can we see a future that looks like we can
1: all try to get better? I mean, help me. It's very possible that next year, um, because of this phase three clinical trial with MDMA-assisted, psych- MDMA-assisted psychotherapy, that next year the FDA will actually approve psychedelic-assisted MDMA-assisted psychotherapy. They're not approving MDMA. Two different things. Two different things. They're approving MDMA-assisted psychotherapy. So it's not like you're going to be able to go in a storm by MDMA. It can have to be prescribed in a very, very specific setting with a therapist. Um, And once that starts, and we start getting these phase three clinical trials, like the one I'll I'll be involved in for depression, then the FDA is going to have to go back and say, well, can we do psilocybin-assisted psychotherapy? Can we do LSD-assisted psychotherapy? DMT-assisted psychotherapy? So I want to make clear to everybody, it's not like the government is getting ready. Look, they can't even reschedule cannabis. Right. So the idea that they're going to reschedule psychedelics before cannabis. That's a, that's a stretch. It's
0: a, it's a stretch. I can't eat a gummy bear at night when I'm not at work and I have a whole week mm-hmm. off and my kids aren't here and I have literally no responsibilities, but my own, I, you know what I mean? I yeah. ha- I've had to avoid that all these years and it sucks because I know what it's like to take actual drugs. And let me tell you, I'm much better off eating a half of a fucking gummy bear. Yeah. But you know? Yeah. I've never been a danger to anyone on five milligrams of cannabis. Oh,
1: you know, so many cops have said, look, if I if I had my if I had my wish, if I went to a high school party, if I could just take the keg out and throw in a, a bag of weed, my job would be a lot easier. I, I could take a nap. They're yeah. all just going to sit there and eat cookies. And have fun and love each other. Yeah. And no one's going to fight because no one's got the energy or the desire to fight. So, you know, no. it's, so, so the, 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 Approval is going to be for the therapy part along with the medication. But it's a step. It's a step. Right now, um, you can look for um, a drug study, for instance. Okay. Now, in New York, the Bronx VA really, really actively involved in MDMA-assisted assist, MDMA psychotherapy. So a lot of research being done at NYU, and they're, and they're working with veterans at the Bronx VA. So it's not like the VA is cut out of the picture. It's just difficult you know, because each, each hospital is different. Even though they're one system, they're different. Yeah. So it's out there. You look in your community to see, is there a university to medical center that's doing research on this? That's the easiest, well, hard to find, but the easiest, safest, and most legal. Because sure. le- we get like, for the study, we get a, a, a waiver from the DEA to be able to have magic mushrooms on hand. On hand, yeah. Right, so it's not just the FDA. you have got to get DEA involved. Yeah, sure, sure. Um, if you live in Oregon... Or you travel to Oregon. Oregon is the only state that um, legalized the use of psychedelics for psychotherapeutic purposes. So you could actually go to Oregon and get psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy in Oregon. It's the only state right now. Colorado has decriminalized. So it means that it's still illegal. They're just not going to bust you for it. Yeah. So
0: there Don't are, act like an asshole. Just...
1: Yeah. Keep it under wraps cool. and you be cool. Don't flaunt it. Yeah. Um. So there are a lot of people doing doing that kind of therapy in Colorado because it's a lot easier, it's a more forgiving environment. Yeah. I went to the I went to the uh, uh, of sciences conference uh, back in May in Denver. Twelve thousand attendees. Twelve thousand. That gives you a sense of how many people, and people came from all over the world. I, mean, I had one guy saying was from New Zealand. As far as you know, one guy from Israel, and these aren't hippies who want to get stoned. No, these are researchers. Yeah, who are doing serious research to help people. To help people, uh, they are people who are interested in, like myself, learning how to use it clinically. Right. And then there are other people who are going the more spiritual path, and they're wanting to be able to say, well, you know, let's use this to enhance people's spiritual life. So it's not really clinical. Great. But so it, it's, it's it's a unique situation where you've got people like myself with a PhD. Working alongside someone who is doesn't really have high, any higher education but they've got a lot of experience they've done a lot of training shamanistic training mm-hmm. and we're like, okay, tell me what your experience is and we learn from each other and there's no you know no one's no one's lifting their nose at anybody
0: all in all, I think it sounds to me like you guys are all looking for people to be happier better and and have better lives and i don't I don't think a whole lot of negative can come out of 12,000 people who all want to go back to where they're from and help other people live happy lives. That's got to be a good thing. And for the law to, and I understand that's a whole political deal. I can't have no control, but it's like that there's got to be positives coming from 12,000 people who are, and that's a small amount. That's not everybody. You
1: know, that's not everybody, but I was, I was was reading something where someone went to a a psychiatry conference and they said, great turnout, 3000 people. Wow. Yeah, there was twelve at this conference. I I think it was probably second. Oh yeah, the the Uber drivers are a good barometer. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Right when you you first get there, what are you here for? I was like, oh, we're doing the psychedelic conference, and like, well, what's that about? And then by the last day of the conference, like, oh, I was just talking to these guys about using LSD for this, this, and this, and I heard the research, and they're like all over it. And it was like, um, other than the uh, craft beer convention that they have in Denver, I think this is like what the second largest. Wow.
0: Well, and I, I heard you on another podcast. I've read it to um, the, these things, especially like the mushrooms and the ayahuasca, and uh, this isn't a 1980s or 60s or 50s or 40s or 30s thing. This is nope. thousands of, this is like our ancestors' ancestors have been using all these natural
1: things and... Uh, safely. 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 And, and one of the things that I you know, like to think about is when they were used in indigenous communities... It's really to help and encourage people to be part of the larger community. Whereas the tribe, the tribe. So when, historically, when people are taking, you know, psychedelics, like it's all about them. But in oh, indigenous right. communities, it's about no, it's all about belonging to um, the tribe. Come together, come yeah. together, the community. So when we take it from let's say a music festival to a therapeutic environment, you know, you can actually have experience like. There is something out there more than me. There is something out there more than me just having fun and having a good time. Which is important to know. I'm part of a larger community. Not only am I part of a larger community, there's some research about, you know, uh, there was this one study kind of interesting at the conference looking at uh, using psilocybin for bone cancer, pain associated with bone cancer. Um, Because people get pretty hopeless when they're in that when they're in that much, when they're in that much pain, can you imagine and they're afraid of dying and the dying process yeah so this is a great use of of psychedelics is end of life anxiety
0: listen man if it's coming it's coming and that's a drag and, and of course we all wish we could do something about it but hey if you do have 6 months and i can say this with kind of nonchalantly because i'm not facing this right now but like if you take these couple little capsules like you're you're going to have a nicer time I
1: mean, you know what i'm saying you can be able to Manage be with your family better, right, right, right. But to for the you know it's already painful. Why would you want to be Why would you want to be mentally pained about the uncertainty associated with death? I mean. So in this study, the people who took the psilocybin, they they do a couple question uh, a number of questionnaires. Well, after psilocybin, a number of them said they felt more connected, or thought that started to believe insects have souls, trees have souls, the earth has a soul. Other people, as opposed to say, no, it's just me. Maybe my dog. You know, have a soul, but all this other stuff they're like no, 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 no. And then afterwards, it's like no, yeah, all living things. We're all half just so, and that opens them up. Yeah. To then the larger community. Yeah, and
0: the cycle, the the circle. Yeah. You know, this is it is what it is. You don't want to think about it so much, but like, if you do have to face it, why not be in a little better place about it? You
1: know. Right. Ro- uh, Roland Griffiths, who is a, the, the director of Johns Hopkins gave a talk. He's, he was recently diagnosed with stage 4 colon cancer. So he's terminal. Mm. Um, and he did a couple of interviews. And he was one of the first people to say that using psychedelics helps with end-of-life anxiety. So he decided to do it for himself. And he did a large dose. And I remember him saying, he said, during that experience, I talked to the cancer and said, you know, I understand that you have to multiply, that you have a goal Oh. And multiply, and re- I understand all that, but do you have to kill me? And the response came back was, "Yes," and he said, "Okay." And from that, in during that psychedelic experience, he said his all of his anxiety about dying went away. Really? Yep. I and could picture anger coming out. Well, right, then fuck you, you know. No, because again, you know, rather than being afraid what we do in psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy, where, where it's like, here's cancer. Most people like, say, I want to run away. Like, no, we need you to confront it. Kind of like what we, you and I were doing mm-hmm. about the things you are afraid of in your house and sure. outside. You got to face it. Otherwise, you're going to always be afraid. Yeah. So in this experience, like, no, you got to talk to the cancer. Make friends with it. Wow. Um, for me, you know, living with a pacemaker. Yeah. I was like, at some point during an experience... Was he able to say, and I had this whole replay of the whole, the whole experience being in the emergency room. Eventually, was like, wait a minute, this thing's keeping me alive. I got to be friends with it. Hey, Mikey. Yeah, I to be friends you- with it. And once I once I got to be friends with it, I was less afraid of it. My workouts got better because I wasn't afraid of pulling a wire out. Right. I wasn't afraid of something breaking or dropping it on my pacemaker. Really. Oh yeah. That fucking I, piece that they forgot. Yep. And I'm just like, you know, walking stronger. And really, once I, in that experience, it, no, 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 it's, it's my friend. My my whole outlook on having a pacemaker and my heart changed so that I could actually push myself to do things. Whereas prior to that, I was afraid that I would do something or damage it or. Die as a result of doing something that I wasn't supposed to be doing. So it's acceptance. It's acceptance and gratitude. I'm glad you're, look, I'm glad G- you're hell here. yeah. You know, I see it. I see it every morning when I get out of the channel. look in the mirror. I see it every day. I feel it. But, you know, now I'm glad, as opposed to being resentful. Absolutely. That I have to have yeah. this. It's like, man, I'm only 60. Why? What's right, going on right. here? And I was like, well, now I'm grateful that I got it because it's keeping me alive. And that's a, that's a positive. So this is some of the things that psychedelics can do for people. Um, it's just shift without really a lot of effort. Um, perspective on, on things is sometimes just a subtle shift. It's a big deal though. Yeah. It's a subtle shift with huge, huge implications. Yeah. You've seen my, my website. The tagline is sometimes a small change can make a big difference. Yeah. If you have a, sh- a small shift in perspective. can have huge implications.
0: Well, you tell me real quick and then you've really got to go. Um, let's just say psilocybin if it were to be microdosed uh, and i just picked that one because it mm-hmm. seems to me like if a person in whatever state is listening yeah um could could uh, come across psilocybin and figure out the proper way to microdose and is that um are these things uh, in drug tests how does that work with jobs
1: no um first of all you gotta remember these are such minute amounts oh okay so something like lsd is measured in micrograms yeah. not milligrams micrograms okay and they're out of your system. Like when I say uh, like psilocybin lasts four hours. Right. It's gone. Oh, really? It doesn't it linger gone. like cannabis you know, or. You would really have, to. what I read was in order for it to these psychedelics to be detected, you'd have to take a hair sample within that time frame, Cause that's where they'd be able to oh, find wow. it. Um, and then have that sent off to a lab. But once you're done with the experience, there's no lingering, th- there's nothing afterwards. Um, and the other thing about it, which is kind of nice, is with the traditional psych, uh, psychedelics, it's really, really hard to get addicted. Yeah. Because you because you develop tolerance after two doses. So you take a dose one day, a big dose one day, a big dose the second day, you do big dose a third day, chances are nothing's going to happen. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. So, yeah, hard to abuse, and it's exhausting. I mean, like when you go on a psychedelic, trip, it's not necessarily fun. It can be exhausting. So you'd be like, I don't want to do that for a while. I have partaken in every one of the
0: things that we have talked about Mm -hmm. in the past. And you're right. It was like my muscle, you know, because, and of course I wasn't eating them mushrooms Mm -hmm. or LSD or, or MDMA or ketamine or anything. Uh, They were not in, in any kind of a therapeutic dose, but it was like the next day, like, you know eat six grams of mushrooms things are going to get pretty tough for you and so like the next day i remember my this is i was way too young to be doing this shit but like my muscles would be just so tight and tense just from the fucking ah you know like the yeah. experience and so this we, this is not what we're talking
1: about people this no. is not this is not the heroic dose no but even in a heroic dose if you do it in a in an environment a safe environment yeah with people there who know what they're doing so that if you're having a challenging experience they can redirect you and have that challenging experience be therapeutic. Yeah, but yeah, people just randomly going out and say, "Yep, yeah, I'm going to go some mushrooms. I'm just going to take a big dose and go out and walk in the woods." It's like that's probably not the most effective uh, way yeah. of using it. I I, don't, I wouldn't <laughs> think so. That's not what we're talking about. No,
0: um, Doc. I try to end every podcast. We could. I mean, I could talk to you for hours, and hopefully, maybe we can do this again. I'll yeah. come. I'll come to your place. You come. Um, I try to end every show. Um, with something positive or how to help people. Sometimes it's about uh, the kids putting a, a nice older lady's water in her, the trunk of her car at the, at mm-hmm. the grocery store. Um, something I've learned about, I think you're better. So what can, what give me something, give the people something. Um, let's folk, let's say on uh, finding help and getting help and, and accepting it. Do you have like right. a
1: quick, well, the first the first thing is, you, I want people to understand: you can actually get help. You do not have to live this way. This that's isn't the be all, end all. It's true. There's help. There's light at the end of the day. You just have to find the right resource. Because a lot of guys will say, "You know what? This is just how I am." Mm-hmm. Once you say, "This is just how I am," that's how you're going to be. You've accepted. You've accepted that I'm damaged, and I'm never going to. My life is never going to be any different. Right. And you know, there and I tell people like, look, we can get this better. And people need to hear you. We can get this better. Your life can be better. You don't have to live like this. Yep. Um, and you know, the VA has gotten better mm-hmm. than when you and I first started meeting. The VAs, you know, Absolutely. done a much better job. I'm. Ne- I don't really see people anymore on multiple medications any longer. While people might might be terribly satisfied. With the treatment or the, the turnover right time of the staff get to the va there's help there are people in the community who really want to help who know what they're doing um just, you know don't give up yep. and i say that also to the spouses and the children because one of the things about having the the, the spouses and sometimes the kids mm-hmm. into an environment is like this is what's going on with your spouse but this is how we're going to get it better and giving the family hope you know that that their veteran is actually gonna come back to them. Yeah. Is an integral part of just the beginning of treatment.
0: Yeah. Wounded Warrior Project is now doing a family odyssey too. Did you know about I didn't, that? I didn't know that. they your whole family can go wow. to Arkansas, wherever they wherever they do it. And you, your wife, your kids, you guys can all wow. fly out and and so now it's a family thing. Instead of taking Dom in the woods and, right. and repellent, it's a family thing with people that are specialize in children and how they uh, you know interact with with folks with these kind of things going on so I mean that that to me is just the coolest thing in the world when you bring the kids into it you know yep letting them read books and stuff that we got off of Amazon about why is my dad so mad it it was it 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 helped us my family a little bit you know like just a little bit when they were really young Alicia thought that was super important Mm -hmm. so to know that and that's just the Wounded Warrior Project, people. There
1: are so many other good organizations doing these type of things. So, um, to, to And, and there are also, on the psychedelic side, there are organizations in this country, um, like VETS, Veterans Exploring Treatment, um, uh, treatment. They, they focus primarily on getting um, former special forces mm-hmm. into psychedelic treatment. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Humble Warrior Wellness, here in St. Louis, um, will help people get into um, into some kind of a treatment, uh, raising money. So when I the the people that I've sent out for ayahuasca, it's covered. You just have to get the airfare. That's right. But great. there's enough people out there who are donating enough money to make sure that people can do that. Um, Heroic Hearts Project uh, is another organization that will help people find psychedelic treatments and a way to pay for it wow now you mad you got to imagine now there's a lot of there's a wait list but you got to start somewhere there's a
0: wait list there's going to be some paperwork guys
1: you yep. know you know how it goes man yeah it's not it
0: it won't happen today but you, like everything else you got to stick with it a little bit and put the time in in order to get the results so if you're out there and and you know somebody or or, or i'm talking to you right now in your car or cutting the grass put the time in um I would not have Doc Shapiro on here if I I didn't fully trust in what he's saying. Uh, again, he's a, a huge reason why I'm alive, and and for the most part, she's happy being married to me. But right. um, we are still doing it after seven years, and it's like uh, I I trust this man with my life. So um, I'm just asking you to reach out and and do something for yourself because uh, let's face it, man we we don't have a whole lot of time, but we do have an opportunity to make it a a very good time and and happy and fulfilling and so um you're worth it i I promise you're worth it your family's worth it it is worth the work um and so i hope everybody takes something from this and and i hope this was helpful and you know i'm i'm gonna keep uh doing some research on this myself and, and looking into it and uh trying to always improve uh in my own way so I'm, I'm talking to you, but I'm also right there with you. Um, so please, please look out. Um, try, to, try to find something in your area. If you're here in St. Louis, my email is pjmdjm1961 at gmail. Email me anytime, um, and I'd be happy to send you in the right direction. Doc, thank you so much for coming. It means the world to me. I, I appreciate it, and it's What's so good to see you, buddy.
1: You, you, know, you didn't need to be that nervous that you, that you filleted your chin. I know. Over me coming over, uh, here man. Today. It's been a long time, and <laughs> it's just I am so
0: excited about this, but I, I know it was great. So thank you so much, buddy.
1: Um, thank you for the invitation.
0: All right, guys. Uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for tuning in. See ya.